coming up this evening live from New York City. Real estate powerhouse Blackstone putting the finishing touches on one of the biggest real estate funds ever, as some predict a drop in home prices. A Chinese microchip maker producing semiconductors two generations ahead of its time. And this could benefit China's military. The CEO of Volkswagen stepping down in a surprise move years before the end of his contract. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Stephanie Cox here for NTD Business, standing in for Chenny Wu today. Credit card giant American Express reports last quarter's earnings today, and according to its data, consumers are still spending, at least for now. Its profits topped estimates thanks to record high credit card spending, especially in the travel category. The company also raised its annual revenue forecast. However, its CEO did warn about an uncertain economic outlook down the road and set aside funds in case borrowers can't pay back their credit card debts. Several major banks have made similar moves. And telecom giant AT&T is already feeling the impact. It says some customers have delayed paying their phone bills, impacting its cash flow. Telecom companies have raised prices in the face of higher input costs. AT&T also hiked rates for some plans. Meanwhile, consumers also being squeezed by higher prices are trying to prioritize spending. One analyst says inflation will drive users to consider signing up for cheaper services. On Wall Street, major indexes dipped today, weighed down by tech stocks. The Dow fell 138 points, or four-tenths of a percent. The S&P dropped 37 points, or nine-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq lost 226 points, or one and nine-tenths of a percent. Blackstone, one of the most dominant real estate investors in the world, is going to dominate more after completing the biggest real estate fund of its kind. It may soon have over $50 billion to invest. NTD's fake quarter has more. Massive investment corporation Blackstone is almost done creating what could be the biggest real estate fund ever. It could reach $30.3 billion when it's done. And together with its other funds in Asia and Europe, it'll have over $50 billion to invest in real estate. Based on the trend of affordability, prices are probably going to need to come down. Russell Gray is a co-host of the Real Estate Guys radio show. Gray believes Blackstone wants to buy the dip when those prices go down. On the street, we call those vulture funds, uh, but they're gonna scoop in. Opportunity funds are gonna take advantage of the dip if it happens. Some have even stronger thoughts on a price drop. We're definitely in a housing bubble have been for a while. John Dunham is the president of John Dunham and Associates, an economic research firm. Dunham says that demand is much higher than supply. Well, prices are still rising right now. Um, you know, on, on average, the uh, home prices can turn very quickly and fall very quickly. Some don't think prices will fall at all. I think it's going to level out because of interest rates. But with the strong dollar, uh, it's not, I don't think it's going to fall. Suzanne Miller is the CEO of Empire State Properties, a Manhattan firm specializing in high-end properties. Miller believes Blackstone isn't necessarily looking to buy a dip. Particularly with the war going on and the dollar being so strong and the volatility in the stock market, real estate is the place that is going to be the safest. So I think that whether it's Blackstone or an individual investor, 
you're going to find people now flocking towards real estate more than ever. Blackstone is one of the most dominant real estate investors in the world, with $320 billion in investor capital and $550 billion of value in its global real estate fund. It'll become even bigger after this. I don't like it. I think that our founders decided that small, decentralized was better. Um, I, I hate to see Main Street become a renter nation and being paying rents to Wall Street. Russell Gray, the co-host at the Real Estate Guys radio show, says he's a bigger fan of Main Street owning Main Street. Bay Quarter, NTD News. And the Musk Twitter saga is still far from over. Twitter just reported earnings and its quarterly revenue fell by $10 million year over year. Analysts had expected it to go up. And it had a net loss of $270 million, while last year they had a net income of $65.6 million. In other words, Twitter doesn't seem to be doing very well on the money side. Twitter blamed advertising headwinds, as well as uncertainty involving the Musk acquisition. But a key performance indicator, the number of daily active users, rose from the first quarter. It credits product improvements and global conversation about current events. This is happening as Twitter sues billionaire Elon Musk to force him to buy the company. The five-day trial will begin in October at a Delaware court. And moving on to China, Shanghai's Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation may have just made a microchip that's two generations ahead of what it's currently capable of making, which are 14 nanometer chips. That's according to technology analyst's website, Tech Insights. The Shanghai-based manufacturer is shipping Bitcoin mining semiconductors built using 7 nanometer technology. This is the most advanced technology product that Tech Insights has seen from SMIC. What's also surprising about this is that the company was able to do this despite U.S. sanctions. Tech Insights says Bitcoin mining semiconductors may be the stepping stone for SMIC to a true 7 nanometer process. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about SMIC is Stephen Izal. He's with the Information Technology and Inform Innovation Foundation. Stephen, thanks for coming on. So Shanghai's SMIC is apparently shipping Bitcoin mining semiconductors that are using 7 nanometer technology. Now, this is very surprising to me. Does it look like SMIC is on their way to making real 7 nanometer chips? It does uh, appear to be the case. Uh, and that's a surprise to many analysts of the industry. SMIC has made uh, significant advances in semiconductor process node design. Uh, in fact, their previous leading edge capacity, which was their N plus one design system, actually already offered performance at the 14 nanometer level that was comparable to TSMC's at the seven nanometer level. And now, as you've just said, it appears that they're going to be able to start sustained mass production of 7NM capable chips with a new process node called N plus 2, as you, which we're already seeing in, in, in Bitcoin and, and uh, other applications. Now, this is very surprising. Definitely something's unexpected. You know, 7 nanometer processes two generations ahead of SMIC's 14 nanometer technology. How do they do this? What's going on here, Stephen? Well, there are certainly a number of factors at play. I mean, we have to understand in this discussion that with semiconductors, we're truly dealing with the world's most important industry, uh, apart from biotechnology amidst the pandemic, at least. Uh, but as you know, 
The semiconductors are vital to every defense application from drones to hypersonic missiles. Uh, they're driving the global digital economy, everything from artificial intelligence to wind turbines or electric vehicles or solar panels. So China is, of course, hungry uh, to have a company at the leading global edge of this industry. And to get there, uh, the Chinese government, of course, has supported SMIC and other companies like YMTC with massive industrial subsidies. Uh, they've looked the other way while these firms have engaged in massive intellectual property theft uh, from their global peers. Uh, they have very active programs to try to poach talent from uh, companies such as TSMC. So uh, what we're seeing is the Chinese government make a, a full court press, if you will, uh, to to uh, um, get their companies as close uh, as they can to the global cutting edge. And that's one reason they've been able to move so fast. Now, you mentioned a couple of points, and I'd like to ask a question about that. So when the U.S. sanctioned SMIC, Washington was concerned about Beijing using U.S. technology to modernize its military, right? So then would China's military benefit from SMIC capable of making 7 nanometer chips? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, initially, these these technologies may, you know, find their way into commercial applications like Bitcoin mining. But as you know, every single weapons platform that exists in the world today has a brain. And that's the brain is a semiconductor. And the more effective semiconductors that a nation has domestically available is going to find their way into defense applications. Uh, absolutely. And yes, will this leap ultimately advanced PRC military capacity absolutely now we talked about you know the energy sector the military I wonder does the phone sector smartphone sector would Huawei benefit from this uh, you know this technology absolutely uh, although it appears that uh, Huawei is trying to uh, reinvigorate, uh, reanimate an internal chip design uh, group they have uh, to uh, kind of design their own chips for Huawei phones. But of course, having a foundry, having the outsourced fabrication capacity with SMIC uh, able to you know be at a seven nanometer level higher would definitely be of, of benefit to Huawei and other uh, Chinese cell phone makers. Okay. Stephen Izell, Vice President for Global Innovation Policy at ITIF. Thanks again for coming. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Turning to Europe, Volkswagen CEO Herbert Dies is stepping down. The German carmaker made the announcement today. Dies is leaving three years ahead of the end of his contract. In a LinkedIn post, he said, After a really stressful first half of 2022, many of us are looking forward to a well-deserved summer break. Dies stepped into the job following the Dieselgate emission scandal and led the company through it. He pushed for electric vehicles and also clashed with its work council, kind of like our labor unions here. Most recently, he said a mismanaged transition to electrification could cost the carmaker over 30,000 jobs. The head of the workers' council had also warned him if he can't keep VW as the front runner of Europe's car industry, his position could be at risk. These will be succeeded by Porsche boss Oliver Bloom. Porsche is a subsidiary of VW. And staying in Germany, the country's energy provider Uniper today received a 15 billion euro bailout from the German government. It's the biggest casualty of Europe's energy crisis so far. Francis McGuire reports. 
German gas company Uniper is getting a government bailout. It's worth 15 billion euros or about 15.2 billion dollars. The company has struggled after Russian gas supplies fell in recent months. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. We have met the anteilseignern. We have talked to the shareholders and the Finnish government, which has a stake with the shareholders, and we have agreed on a solution. The solution is that we will buy into Uniper with a 30% stake in the company. Buying the 30% stake will cost about $272 million, but there are conditions Uniper must follow. Friday's agreement will, though, allow Uniper to pass on higher gas prices to customers. Schultz said authorities were looking at relief measures. You'll never walk alone. Das wir gemeinsam. That we overcome the difficult times together, that we stick together, that is crucial. No one is left alone with their challenges and problems. Not one single citizen, not even the companies in this country. The package still needs approval from the European Commission and confirmation of Uniper's ratings by agency S&P. Uniper, majority owner Fortum and the German government will now work on a long-term solution for the company. Turning to Russia and Ukraine, the two countries signed a deal today to reopen Ukraine's Black Sea ports for grain exports. It's raising hopes the deal will ease the international food crisis. NTD Sean Marshall has the details. An international food crisis caused by the war in Ukraine could be ending soon. Russia and Ukraine signed a deal Friday to reopen Ukraine's Black Sea ports to allow safe exports of grain and other food products. Ukraine and Russia are among the world's biggest exporters of food. A blockade of Ukraine's ports by Russia's Black Sea fleet has hurt global supply chains. Moscow, which invaded Ukraine in February in what it called a special military operation, has denied responsibility for the food crisis. It instead blamed Western sanctions imposed for slowing its own food and fertilizer exports. The United Nations and Turkey worked for two months to broker what the UN called a package deal. The aim is to restore Ukraine's grain exports while also facilitating Russian shipments. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said the deal will help stabilize global food prices. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Still to come, Amazon's self-driving firm seeking to test robo-taxis in California, saying they meet the highest crash safety standards. The dramatic story of the Thai cave rescue coming to the big screen. We hear from director Ron Howard. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. The FCC is cracking down on robocalls, specifically ones about auto warranties. Yesterday, it said U.S. telecom providers will be required to block millions of those robocalls every day. The order targets a group of 13 individuals and six companies specifically. They're accused of sending more than 8 billion messages advertising extended vehicle warranties since 2018. Most of those calls are considered illegal under U.S. law. 
Robocalls about extended car warranties have been the number one consumer complaint to the FCC for the past two years. The FCC said telecom companies that continue to allow the illegal calls could face penalties. And FedEx wants to stop making some Sunday deliveries. The service cutbacks start the week of August 15th in areas with smaller populations. FedEx officials wouldn't say exactly which areas will be affected, but a company memo announcing the change says it'll be about 20% of the country. It says the move reflects a, quote, continuous focus on improving efficiency and reducing costs. Over the past few months, independent contractors have called for more pay as gas prices rise. Many say Sunday deliveries just aren't as profitable. And Amazon's self-driving technology firm Zooks is gearing up to launch its robo-taxi business. It says its vehicle with no pedals or steering wheel meets federal regulations. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Zooks's vehicle is called VH6 and has room for four passengers. It's produced in Zooks's Cato factory in Fremont, California, a city where Tesla also builds its cars. As you'll notice, there's no steering wheel, nobody's driving, it's driving all by itself. And we're navigating a pretty tight set of turns in this parking lot, and uh, the vehicle is navigating by localizing itself very precisely and controlling itself. Generally, self-driving tech companies with vehicles without steering wheels or pedals have applied to the U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration for an exemption. Levinson said Zooks chose instead to self-certify according to federal motor vehicle safety standards. We built this ground-up architecture from the very beginning to comply with the FMVSS, uh, and the self-certification is an attestation. We've actually done all the work to show that we've done that, including all the documentation, all the testing that goes along with that. Chief Safety Division Officer Mark Rosekind emphasized the company's commitment to safety. We've got to make sure we have the safety data that absolutely demonstrates this is a, a great opportunity to help improve safety. We've got to be transparent about all that, and we've got to get people in the vehicle so they realize what a great opportunity this is to help safety, the sustainability, and mobility in our society. The NHTSA exemption usually limits the number of vehicles that can be manufactured, as well as the period of production. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. It's been four years since the dramatic rescue of a group of 12 boys and their soccer coach from a cave in Thailand. Now, Oscar-winning filmmaker Ron Howard has brought their story to the big screen. NTD's Andrew Thomas again. The soccer team was exploring the Tom Long Cave Complex in northern Thailand in June 2018, when monsoon rains flooded the tunnels and trapped them underground. The boys and their coach survived nine days in a partially flooded chamber, some 2.5 miles inside the cave, before they were discovered by two British cave divers. You know, it's stunning what, what, was, what was achieved, and it's not just about the heroic divers. You know, it really is an entire community and a country and a lot of countries, ultimately, participating and making something, um, you know, amazing come true. The complicated rescue operation took nearly three weeks. The mission involved Thailand's elite Navy SEAL units and volunteers from around the world. Just so intense, but more importantly, underneath all of it, is also a very contemporary theme that we need to remind ourselves of, and that is how powerful we can all be internationally or on a community level when we pull together. 13 Live stars Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell as British divers Rick Stanton and John Valanthan. Stanton praised Howard's interpretation of the events 
it's not a documentary, but it's pretty much true to life. And what is completely uh, realistic and emotive is the feeling that you know of the crowd scenes and what was going on in the cave camp and in the cave. That that really does replicate it very uh, very well. Belanthan admitted to not knowing who Farrell was before filming began, but said he was impressed with the Irish actor. I had no idea who Colin was because I'm not really a movie buff, but uh, he, he seems to have done a really good job. He seems to have been very diligent. He even took up running to uh, be as a method actor, as it were. He's, he's done a really good job. 13 Lives will be released in select US and UK theaters on July 29th and launches globally on Amazon Prime Video on August 5th. Andrew Thomas, MTD News. You can earn six figures eating candy all day. Seriously. Check out this Instagram post from Candy Funhouse, an Ontario-based online candy company. You can see in big, bold letters, they're looking for a chief candy officer, and they'll apparently be willing to pay someone $100,000 for the gig. The company says the person they pick will be put through extensive palate training. The job description includes taste testing more than 3,500 products every month and approving what kind of candy the company sells along with strategy and candy board meetings. Now, the question is, what's their dental plan look like? And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. And that's all for now from NTD Business. But if you stick around, you can catch NTD Evening News right here with me at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. And you can follow me on Twitter, too. Standing in for Chenny Wu today, thanks for watching and have a great weekend.